good afternoon, friends and associates. We're back again. This is part of the uh, Course 5 Compass series of podcasts. And specifically within that, this is the Discovery, Course 5 Discovery sub-series. I'm joined again by Sushant Ajmani, who is our Product Director for the Course 5 Discovery Platform and Solution. Um, my name is Joseph Sersok. I am joined on this podcast by Sushant in the sense that nobody is hosting anyone. Um, and um, uh, I run the EMEA region for Course 5. And uh, today we have chosen to do a bit of a dive into e-com um, as a dynamic, as a market initiative that is truly disrupting supply chain and logistics and what we are seeing in clients and what we are um, discussing in the marketplace and in forums such as this. Uh, Sushant, would you like to say hello and very welcome? Absolutely, Joseph. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, I think I'm really excited to discuss on our today's topic uh, because it's closer to our heart. We both have been working very closely in the, the CPG and FMCG sector lately and I'm really excited to see how the e-commerce as a sector is disrupting day by day this entire traditional industry and looking forward to have this conversation with you. Just Good, good. So um, I guess let's just frame it a bit. Um, we know that the current pandemic is uh, challenging a lot of uh, ecosystems. Uh, business vulnerabilities are exposed tremendously across supply chain models. Um, business continuity as an increased risk, whether you're an e-com or traditional channels. Um, and worldwide experience in supply chain is having um, a heightened profile. And what I mean by that is that um, e-com has been with us for a while. There is no no surprises there. Um, but ecom has changed dramatically in the last um, uh, in the last twelve months, and uh, does not look like it's going to go back to what it was. It's going to continue to thrive and grow in leaps and bounds. Um, so we certainly have seen that with some of our clients, where they already had an ecom platform and their transactions have gone through the roof. But they're now having challenges on the back end with supply chain, and and we've got other clients who are scrambling to keep up and to catch up in direct to consumer with the e-com um, transaction enablement uh, solutions and processes. Um, I think what's interesting talking to a lot of clients and, and peers of ours in the industry is some folks are trying to take their yesterday and bring it into today. And then some people are trying to take their today and take it into tomorrow. So they got different maturities uh, of waves of activity. Uh, but the, the sheer reality is that the tsunami of e-commerce is, is upon us. And um, we know that uh, many logistics workflows are being challenged, stressed, and that's why we are here to provide solutions and answers to that. Um, what, what, are you, what are you seeing with your clients, Sushant, specifically at a high level around this topic? Yeah, sure, absolutely, Joseph. So I think if you look at it, I think the COVID has definitely accelerated the, the e-commerce penetration across multiple industries. And especially, uh, I spent a lot of time in the CPG, FMCG and technology sector. And if I look at the last few months of numbers, usually the CPG and FMCG, their e-commerce penetration was fluctuating around four to 5%. And in the last, I would say, starting from April to June or July, we have seen it go above 7%. And I think the, the researcher, the analysts are expecting it might hit maybe 9% by the end of this year or by the end of the Q1 next fiscal year. So the prospects are pretty good. I think it looks like the e-commerce is definitely gonna reshape this entire CPG FMCG sector because they're also getting more closer to the consumers. The D2C is becoming a big buzzword these days. And uh, 
the CPG FMCG players, I think they have taken a, a route that instead of opening their own web stores, their first opportunity they tried to capitalize was that how we can penetrate more and more into the marketplace segment. And because consumers are already there on Amazon and Lazadas and Jets of the world, how can we start taking our product catalog over there and leverage our distributors network? Because if you look at the, the way the traditional uh, CPG, FMCG sector works, it's very distributor heavy. Okay, after the manufacturing gets done, lot of fulfillment gets done through the distributors. And now suddenly this whole e-commerce wave has come up. The distributor network is now started showing the signs of pain because they were always equipped to cater to the traditional retail. And now suddenly you start seeing smaller orders, lot of volatility in the demand. Last mile has become a big area of focus because that's close to 28 to 30% of the overall transportation cost. That's right. So what the so what the brands are expecting now from these distributors that how can you become our fulfillment arm for the end consumers also? How can you have a more diversified fleet, a good channel mix, so that you can handle the small ticket size orders? Also? Yeah. So that so it's going to be a lot of pressure now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, if I can pick up the thread and. And look back, I mean, most, most planning models, most brands would have typically had about three to six months availability of inventory based on prevailing forecasts, right? Uh, and we've had questions that said people who were not able to adapt to the COVID situation was because their forecast wasn't, you know, substantive or, or robust enough, I guess, right? Um, and then from our point of view, we wouldn't call it a poor forecasting. We would actually say that the impact and the magnitude of the disruption is unprecedented because we've got this compounding wave of behavior change that has turned these numbers, as you said earlier, from a 5% to a 7% to potentially a 9%. And we're talking billions. So it's not, you know, the odd unit here or there. It's, it's, it is a tsunami of change. Um, and so I think what we are seeing, clearly people want more resilience, more transparency. But the question is, how do you do that? And the folks who have been doing e-com for a while, and, you know, we're talking about the Ebays and the Amazons and others, moved into that territory a little earlier. Um, and one of the telling tales of their ability to adapt has been that detailed tracking. Um, so breaking down um, the analysis of, of behaviors of the last mile of their channels um, and then what information is worth sharing with various parties in the channel so that they can track and they can keep up with uh, with flex and adaptation um absolutely just to add some one, one more point there is i think if you if you look at it uh, uh, compared the traditional versus uh, the e-commerce, I think the whole order patterns and order cycle have also changed because earlier the order patterns were very predictable. So you know what your retail partners need, how many truckloads they need, what kind of excuse, but now it has become very variable because now you're directly hitting the consumers and their needs are very, very volatile. Also the order cycle, which used to be very long and weekly, has become now shifted towards very short and daily, okay? Yeah. You are sending more frequent trucks, to the distributors, you are sending more frequent uh, 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 different modes of transportation to different channels, and in, and most of them are LTLs, okay, less, less than a truck load. And the size of the shipments have also become small and single pieces. So things are changing. People are expecting more spontaneous, uh, many frequent deliveries, and it, it has really impacted the overall cost of this entire logistic ecosystem. And it has become very difficult for some of our clients that we work with that how to keep control on this growing logistics cost 
and but also meet the service level that they've committed to the customer. And sometimes it's being said by somebody else and you got to keep matching it. Um, I live here in, in England and I've seen that from high street retail brand to the next one where somebody comes up with, a, with an idea two years ago and then the rest have to keep up and, uh, you know, and, and match that, as you said, that expectation and that delivery. Um, I think the other thing that we're always talking about is some of the technology. So um, with e-com, things are more fragmented. The last mile is a bit more complex. Expectations are higher in terms of turnaround and, and accuracy and very little latency. Um, but at the same time, there's been a lot of introduction of new and exciting technology, which is exciting in terms of it can be leveraged, but it's complicated when you need to track it and manage the data around it. And here I'm talking about um, mobile computing and wearable technology, robotic butlers, things like IoT, uh, RFID, um, and, and, and the like. Um, how are how are customers coping with that? You know, are they literally putting their hands around all of it and saying, you know, we got to launch these things, we got to di distribute and and leverage them? Or you think that most of them have started and it's just a question of keeping up? You know, keeping up with the with the Jonas, as I said. I think that's a very good question, Joseph. And I think uh, if I talk about RFID and GPS uh, enabled devices, autonomous vehicles, I think there's a whole conversation going around this thing for the last, I would say, seven to eight years. It's not new. And I think we all have been reading a lot of articles and researches uh, from McKenzie's and Gartner's of the world for the last decades. I think it's just that in the last two years, the adoption has increased significantly because uh, the whole, the, the global warming, the trade wars in the last two years, the unrest in Hong Kong and the climate uh, changes, and also this latest pandemic uh, due to COVID has really accelerated the digitization initiatives in most of the companies. And in fact, most of the large CPG, FMCG companies we are working with, they all are running big digital transformation initiatives right now. And at the core of that is revolving all about migration to the cloud, setting up the data infrastructure, bringing more end-to-end -end visibility across the supply chain, and when you talk about visibility, you, then you talk about adoption of these RFIDs and GPS-enabled tags and IoT. So we are seeing there's a surge in the adoption of these technologies. And that's great because the more and more these technologies are going to be adopted, it will create enormous amount of data across this ecosystem. And that's where companies like uh, CodeSwipe Intelligence comes into picture with their discovery platform that how we can capitalize on the data which is getting aggregated on the clouds coming from all these different sources and try to monetize it. Because if I talk to about, uh, if I go to the CIO office today, if I ask him, what are your three major pain areas? And the first is all about how can you help me monetize my data infrastructure? Okay, how can you help me accelerate this whole digital transformation? And how can you help me not just improve the cost, but also help me improve the customer service, customer experience. So we are seeing uh, the more and more opportunities for monetization of this cross-functional data coming into picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think since you brought up the idea of data and um, and the complexities that you know the e-com development has brought, I think it's also worth talking about some of the risks. Um, because as things get more complex, by definition, the risks go up, right? Um, and so while we're looking at data through a positive lens, which is about analysis for the optimization, for uh, mitigating uh, breakages in, in the supply chain uh, workflow, or for anticipating 
shortages or drops of levels. There's other risks which I would like to bring up. Um, now we know that there's your classic interruption risk, right? Which is e-com businesses in an inventory-led one, um, and by definition uh, can be interrupted by I don't know local or global disruptions like uh, uh, weather or, or economic crisis, and you know we know some of that, right? Um, but there's some other ones which are more to do with information privacy and security, right? Or employee and third-party fraud risk. When that last mile becomes more complex and more moving pieces, more people, one. There is the risk that somebody drops the ball, whereas in the previous model, you had a few suppliers and they always did the same thing every month. They delivered, you know, so much, you know, three months of, of stock. Uh, now you've got a lot of individual contractors or individual legs to the, um, to the flow. And so there's a lot of data there. So does managing that analysis also mitigate some of those risks because we are in the world of automation and quality assurance and all the rest of it? Is that something that people are talking to you about? Yeah, absolutely, Joseph. And I think if you talk about risk, see, there are two types of risk that uh, most of the large players are experiencing right now. One facet of risk, which are controllable risk, okay? And another type of which are not controllable. Okay, some, some, some of these risks like pandemic situation that we are going through, the earthquakes and all these big hurricanes and the forest fires that really disrupt this whole supply chain and logistics sector. But now, if I talk from a consumer perspective, the e-commerce perspective, the biggest risk is all about identity theft, okay? All these cyber attacks which are happening. And a lot of consumers are also complaining to, to these marketplaces about this fraud and counterfeit products. That's also yeah. becoming a bigger challenge now. But if I talk from a consumer perspective, I was reading a very interesting research report from uh, Digital Commerce 360 lately, and they mentioned that that there is a there is a segment of consumers who do not care about fraud, who do not care about privacy, because at the end of the day, what they want is convenience, they want uh, speed, they want uh, affordability. As far as they are getting that, they're okay being duped on some of these products that they are buying it, and so it's it's becoming a very big challenge for these big brands who are now going direct to the consumers that how to protect their brand on one thing, but also to keep their customer satisfaction as well as the NPS scores pretty high over there. So it's going to be a tough game for some of these big brands who are opening up their e-commerce channel. Yeah. Yeah. And what about um, sort of on a, on a side note, but I know that, um, well, you know that I've got a few kids, and um, and they order stuff online, you know, obviously through, um, you know, mom and dad's accounts. But um, we are seeing, I don't know if it's in our family, but we're seeing, you know, the, the impact on reverse logistics where the returns policy is becoming more generous. And obviously, you know, you've got to somehow get the product back to the... Uh, to the channel or back to the uh, to the producer, right? And we're seeing a few cases where actually they don't care. They will give you the refund and they will let you keep that pair of slippers or that sort of, you know, add-on to your iPhone, um, you know, piece of wiring or whatever it is that you've ordered. Um, are you seeing that some people are beginning to rethink their reverse logistics, planning policy and execution because they've invested so heavily in expanding and growing. If they have to do the same with the reverse, then, you know, they're creating themselves, you know, some massive, massive challenges. Are you seeing anything of that? Yes, absolutely. I think the reverse logistics is a bigger area of focus for all the large brands right now because uh, you cannot discount that because if you look at the traditional retail versus e-commerce, 
the moment you go towards the, the digital or the e-commerce as a channel for all your fulfillment, your returns are getting doubled now. What yeah. you used to get at your traditional retail, now your returns are going to be doubled. So you definitely need a more sophisticated a dedicated re- reverse logistics pipeline. Because if you're not going to put that in place, you're going to be penalized by the regulators because the regulators are becoming more and more strict about it. How are you going to recycle these items? How are you going to reuse these items? How are you going to do uh, some of these items, remanufacturing it? Because uh, this whole circular economy concept, which came from, in fact, the UK itself uh, 10 years ago, where how these big brands are going to take care of the environment, take care of the society when they do the reverse logistics of some of the components that they have sold in the last few years. And I think European laws are much stricter than any other part of the world. So we are seeing that more and more players are becoming very cognizant about these regulations, these strictness, these fines, and they're investing heavily in in setting up the dedicated return center where they can centralize all the items getting returned by the customer at one location and they're taking a help from retailers they're taking help from the distributors they're taking help from the wholesalers and equipping them that can you play the consolidation role for us so rather Mm -hmm. than the customer sent to us you become the consolidator and then you make a triage whether which items meets how the item should be sorted because the sorting is the most critical part of the reverse logistics that once the items come to the the return center, should they go for disposal to the landfill? Should they go for uh, remanufacturing? Should they go for reuse? So that decision-making power is the 80% of the effort in the entire reverse logistics process. If that is well-defined, then you you can really handle it very smoothly. Yeah, I'm not sure where the future lies on this, but I don't know. My feeling says that the volume of reverse transactions cannot continue to grow in accordance to policies and flexibility by retailers. And then, as you say, pass the pass the responsibility down the channel for them to do the consolidation, so for them to do the sorting and the filtering, because that is all costly. So um, unlike the more traditional supply chain, I can see a point where things are going to have to slow down a bit in terms of that generosity in, in um, return policy, because eventually somebody's going to work out that it's all too costly, too complex to maintain for an element of flexibility from the customer. I know it's a highly competitive world and you've got to keep up with others, but um, I can't see how all the mid-tier players and all the intermediaries in channel are going to pick up all those extra responsibilities, quality assurance, and then costs, right? See, one thing is for sure, returns would always be there, definitely. Yeah. And I remember I spent a lot of time in the retail sector in the last 20 years. And uh, I remember earlier days, the returns used to fluctuate around maybe 4 to 5%. And it has increased to now 8 to 9% with some of the large retail customers we work with. Yeah. And uh, CPGs, once they go directly to the consumers, you will see uh, the returns are definitely going to increase to some extent because... Consumer needs are very volatile. And with new segments like millennials, their shopping pattern, they are very uh, cared about the environment, the society, and the climate. So there is a definitely a lot of pressure on these players that how are you going to recycle these products that you are selling to the consumer? Because every product has a life cycle. At, after certain years, it will definitely get mature and die. 
So someone needs to take the items back because the consumers will add it to the landfill. But someone needs to take the ownership that the items which are at the end of their life cycle, what to do with that. So returns would always be there. It's just a matter of fact that how the government, how the local bodies put some tighter regulations on the brands, on the wholesalers, the distributors, and also the retailers to handle this in a very disciplined manner. Um, okay, so we've covered quite a bit of ground. Let's do a quick um, summary. Um, so we talked about, you know, the e-com impact on uh, a more traditional supply chain and the logistics that come with that. We talked about order patterns. So traditional, they're typically more predictable. In e-com, they're variable and they're only going one way, which is more variable and more dynamic. Um, order cycles, we talked about traditional being long, weekly, monthly. Now it's very much short, uh, bi bi-weekly, daily, sometimes intraday. Uh, some of them are really moving fast. Size of shipment, clearly traditionally would have been bulk multi-piece now we're talking small uh groups of units units um and and you just gotta you gotta deliver it so if your van is you know full of a few small units then your van is full of small units um it's just uh, the nature of the market that we you know we've we've grown into uh, replenishment previously would have been scheduled a bit more traditional and predictable now it's a bit more spontaneous um and that that's obviously a challenge for depending on which workflow you're on i think one thing we haven't talked about is the general business model traditionally would have been described as b2b now we're talking b2b b2b2c and even c to c right uh, it's it's that that landscape is definitely exciting, but also super complex. Uh, point of delivery. Uh, we talked about point of delivery being single and a few. Now it's multiple and many, and there's so many ways that you can pick up your uh, your item. Um, you know, so many places that are not necessarily related to the brand. So they really made it interesting and some very great innovations there. Uh, warehouse configuration. Um, we haven't talked about this as well. Uh, static and unchanging in traditional. Now forever changing and dynamic. So um, people like Amazon and so on have perfected this and others are catching up where the configuration of the warehouse and the way they are stocking for um, certain months, certain weeks, certain weekends, certain demand increases, certain waves of popularity is changing and they can do that. Um, we talked about the distribution network. So the traditional one would have been more tracking and point to point um, as, as we know and you know have grown into. And now we're talking about Express, Hub and Spoke um, and a lot of third parties involved in that last uh, in that last mile. Is there anything else that we have not spoken about, Sushant, that sort of you feel is an important point when we're separating or comparing how e-commerce has impacted the logistics and supply chain? Uh, I think uh, the, just one thing I want to call it out, which is, uh, which is the future, which is all the third party logistics. Because as e-commerce is booming, I would say the third party logistics companies are going to be the major beneficiaries because to handle that kind of a scale, whether it is national or global, you need partners. Mm -hmm. Because for any company, it's very difficult to invest in their own logistics, in their own carriers, in their own warehouses, because not everyone is uh, going to follow the footpaths of Amazon who have open hundreds of warehouses closer to the cities, closer to the consumers where they can deliver the item in same day, sometimes within two hours of your placing order. So it's very difficult for the other players to follow the same apron. And I think it's practically not possible. So eventually what's going to happen is the 3PLs are going to get the major push. They need to follow a more hub and spoke model. They need to 
create more and more opportunities for these large CPG FMCG brands to go closer to the consumers. So and mm. I think that's going to be the major area of investment. And I'm sure there will be more and more 3PLs coming, more and more unicorns going to emerge in this last mile sector. So it's going to be fun to watch. Mm. Mm. I, I totally agree with you. The 3PLs are going to have to change. And, you know, something that, you know, folks like Amazon predicted a while back is if you can make the fulfillment source uh, for each product based on its location and is based on the customer location and, and build that network, invest in those locations, then you will win long term. Yes, there is an investment. Yes, there's a cost, but that's, that's going to be a big one um, to then enable those very dynamic and variable uh, last mile dynamics, right? Um, what about the um, what about the, the real time side? So I know that when we present our solutions to prospects and to customers, um, they're not sometimes totally there, but they'd like to be there. Um, the e-commerce world now in an order management system needs to be much closer to, to real time. Um, and the analysis and the data that comes with it is obviously very critical and important. Do you think the majority of enterprise, large enterprise organizations have got to that stage or they're still getting to that stage, but do they appreciate that you need to get near real time soon and not, you know, 2022 and 2023. What's your view on that? Yes, I think one thing I would say, Joseph, in the last eight, nine months, definitely the investment in the analytics and the AI sector has been stalled to some extent, I would say. There's a lot of investments have gone to automation, basically. People are investing a lot in robotic process automation. They're trying to digitize their supply chain or logistic infrastructure. But we are also seeing more and more demand for visibility that how we can have more near real time visibility into our operations, because as the companies are expanding their warehouses and distribution centers by leasing it out or by investing in some third parties. So the people who are sitting in the headquarters, they want to keep an eye on that, how these warehouses are being managed, okay? how the capacity is being managed, how many loads and unloads are happening how our outbounds are happening. Also, the companies who are also investing in the 3PLs, they want to keep an eye on the 3PLs utilization also, that how are they making the best use of their capacity in terms of the product that uh, the, the big brands are keeping in their warehouses. So there is a big demand for visibility, more near real time stuff. And that's where with the help of discovery, what we're doing is we're trying to leverage the data which is coming from the client's transportation management system, warehouse management system, their ERP platform. And our objective is that how can we quickly identify the exceptions? So exception handling is a very critical part here, that how we can quickly detect the exceptions in this value chain, call it out in as much near real time that, oh, your safety stock levels are going down. Oh, there's a risk in meeting that inventory fill rate levels oh, you are not going to meet your service level commitments to your marketplace or to your end consumers. Oh, your working, your lot of working capital is getting blocked into the inventory in different locations. So we are able to identify those exceptions faster and we are trying to educate the people who are on the front line, your managers, your senior managers who are managing the warehouses, your 3PLs, or who are managing the reverse logistics process, to have absolute visibility so that they can take faster decisions. Because earlier, most of the decisions were taken based on T minus one data, what happened yesterday. But in today's world, where there's so much volatility, 
you can't rely on a day before data. You need what happened two hours before or three hours before. And that's the kind of gap we are trying to fulfill with the help of Discover. Indeed, indeed. Um, so um, clearly, I mean, businesses have, have choices in you know, what, what they focus on. I think we all agree that they've got different levels of maturity and places that they're trying to get to. Um, investing in omnichannel is, is daunting. Digital, trans, digital strategies and distribution channels are getting more complex with more choices. Um, intermediaries, we talked about marketplaces, um, is a place where people can dip their toe if they don't want to go direct, but they're not going to get the benefit of direct with the benefits and the behaviors that they can learn. Um, but it is a very exciting space for the simple reason that it is burgeoning and, and developing rather quickly. Um, so um, I'm I'm ready to summarize, you know, um, our conversation today um, in, in simply saying that, I guess, if we look at, you know, some of the things we talked about and some of the changes in the dynamics, um, I genuinely believe that supply chain being such a big topic this year in 2020, and you touched upon it earlier, um, is going to be the groundwork for many new models. And that also means new players, uh, new ecosystems. Um, so it's good time for innovation models. It's good time to invest in analytics so that you can track and control that world and get ahead of it. Um, and it's a good time for businesses to position themselves as experts across um, that workflow across that set of dynamics, whether you're on, on the street with the trucks and, and the data or whether you're in the stores or in the intermediary stores, location and pickup, or whether you're distribution centers, fulfillment centers, or the back office, which is where all the, 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 the originate products and, um, and offerings begin their journey. Um, I think it's a really exciting uh, couple of years ahead, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more innovation and new companies come to the fore um, and, and break new ground. Uh, so what are, what are your lasting comments today, Sushant, as we uh, wrap up today? Yeah, sure. I think I, 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 mean, I totally agree with you on most of the things that you said, Joseph. And I think I'm very excited to watch that how this e-commerce penetration grow and how some of the older generations like our baby boomers and these all Gen X and how they who, who never thought about this acceleration would happen in the last eight, nine months. Mm. and how the brands are going to capitalize on this e-commerce penetration and how they invest more and more in this particular area. I think it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm, I'm expecting that more and more brands are going to segment their supply chain, especially for e-commerce, because it's very difficult to maintain, use the same distribution center, same warehouses for both the traditional retail as well as for e-commerce. And I think there will be a massive investments are going to happen in creating a separate dedicated distribution centers and fulfillment centers for the e-commerce. So it's going to be a fun to watch how this sector evolves in the coming years too. Mm. I, feel, I feel that's a topic in its own right and probably a podcast in its own right. But I agree with you. As it, as it gets more and more advanced, it will become you know, its own sort of um, roadmap, its own you know, architecture that will designate it uh, dedicated sort of investments and architecture and so it might break off and become its own thing and uh, the traditional supply chain will stay where it is um, but again Sushan thank you so much for joining us today um, and thank you for our audience for um, listening to some of our ideas some of our thoughts some of the things that we're working on 
some of the conversations we're having with our clients and some of the programs that we are involved with as we um, develop and, um, and push the boundaries in this space, in this exciting space. So it's now time to sign off. So again, we are part of the um, Course 5 Compass series of podcasts and there'll be more to come. Uh, you need to join our website uh, to find them. Um, and again, thank you all for joining us and speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Thanks, Joseph. Have a lovely day.